Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. You'll recognise that in a future with much more renewable energy and much more electrification, flexibility and storage are going to be needed in ever-increasing amounts. Most listeners, you'll also know that clean hydrogen is set to play an important role in the energy transition, although still with plenty of debate about exactly what roles hydrogen plays and how important those roles are. But today's episode is about the overlap between these two areas, storing hydrogen in large quantities to provide part of the storage and flexibility that the energy transition will need. So to explore this, let's say hello to my two guests. First of all, Germain Otardo, Hydrogen Projects Director at Stornergy, which is a part of Angie, the big energy company. Hello, Germain. Hello. Germain, thanks very much for joining us. Um, now, in the brief introduction I gave you, I mentioned Angie. Most Many of our listeners will know about Angie, but I suspect not that many will have heard of Stornergy. So... Can you give us a snapshot of Stornergy, please? Alors, Stornergy is one of the world leaders in underground natural gas storage. Stornergy has 70 years of experience. Uh, we design, develop, and operate storage facility. Um, and also, we are developing innovative solutions. I will discuss that later. Great. The company owns 21 natural gas storage sites with a total capacity of 136 terawatt of uh, in France, Germany and United Kingdom. Okay. And we are also a key player in renewable gases, biomethane, hydrogen, sand gas, and also in geothermal energy, power generation, heat, cold productions. Okay, so you've got a lot of experience at doing things underground, be it geothermal, be it uh, storing gas underground, and a lot of experience with managing gases, be they natural gas or or renewable gases. Uh, Yes, exactly. Yes, this is what we do. We are also a member of uh, France Hydrogen and uh, Hydrogen Europe. We have projects in hydrogen. Yeah. Okay. And that's your role, I imagine, is driving forward your activity with hydrogen. Yes, exactly. And one of the projects that galvanize the safety, uh, not the safety, but the thinking for hydrogen, it's IPSTER project. Mm. So if you give me time, I will explain what the acronym IPSTER stands for. Uh, go on then. Uh, how did... Well, hipster, I like the word, and it's my favorite project name that I've come across in the energy transition, Germain. Um, I don't know if it, if in other languages hipster means the same thing, but hipster in English refers to a type of person. And I'm going to now defer to Rob, who's a lot younger than me, to give a more. Uh, Rob, can you explain to listeners what hipster means in English? I, I can certainly try, John. Um, hipster, a, a hipster is somebody who would be um, at the cutting edge of of fashion, of culture. Um, almost to their detriment, some might say. <laughs> um, in some cases, it can be slightly a slightly derogatory term, but always tongue in cheek. So I love the fact that the, uh, like you say, John, it's probably one of the best high based uh, project names that I've seen so far. Thanks, Rob. Far better put than I could ever describe. <laughs> uh, 
which probably tells everyone that I'm a million miles from being a hipster myself. Um, Jamad, why, why hipster then? What's the, explain the, the project title to us. Yes, thank you. So first of all, yes, hipster say, uh, say the same in, in French. Okay. Okay. I think it's worldwide. And uh, hipster means hydrogen pilot for storage for large ecosystem replications. So this is the acronym. So we are a little bit far from the first definition. Uh, the demonstrator is a flagship project of the development of green hydrogen underground mm -hmm. storage in Europe. Okay. So, what we do on Hipster Project, with the help of seven partners, we are going to study and demonstrate the technical feasibility of the replicability of production and storage of hydrogen based on the supply of renewable energy, which has never been done before. Okay. So producing hydrogen from electrolysis and then storing that at the same site, or are you transporting the hydrogen from the electrolyzer to the, to the storage? So exactly the the and the first one. So the we are going to have the production of hydrogen on surface, and we are going to store 200 meters the the hydrogen into an underground storage. Okay. So maybe can I explain how we do it? Uh, let's come to that in a minute, Jim. I'd like to introduce Rob. Uh, but um, last question for now. What in a nutshell? What happens to the hydrogen once it's been stored? What is what's it being used for? So, with the hydrogen that we are going to to store, we are going to stimulate to simulate the injection uh, of renewable energy. So, um, what we are going to do is to produce hydrogen based on the renewable energy. This hydrogen won't one part of this hydrogen will be injected into a salt cavern where we are going to perform uh, 100 tests along three months to demonstrate the feasibility of underground hydrogen storage based on the intermittency of renewable energy. So we will act okay. as a battery mainly. Yeah. And this technological bricks is missing today in the value chain of hydrogen. This has never been tested. Okay. And then after it's stored, will it be used in, for example, buses or putting it into the gas network or using the hydrogen in industry? Yes. So at the moment, we are going to produce on the surface 100 tons per year of hydrogen. Uh, partially, uh, the production of this um, hydrogen on surface will be exactly uh, sell to industrial that want to reduce, uh, decarbonize their industry because they're using hydrogen already, mm -hmm. but which is not a green hydrogen. Okay. And, and secondly, there are some um, market that is growing. It's the uh, hydrogen refueling stations and they will have needs to, to get backup uh, hydrogen. And we are ready to provide this backup hydrogen through our underground hydrogen storage. And this okay. is what we are going to demonstrate through the hipster project. Fascinating. Um, yeah, I can't wait to ask you some more questions and hear a bit more, Germain. But let's say hello, first of all, to Rob Bloom, who, as well as being able to describe the term, what hipster means, is also a hydrogen expert here at Delta EE. Hello, Rob. Hi there, John. Hi, Jermaine. Hi. Um, Rob, before we dive further into the, the hipster project, I'd like to just bring out the context of the hydrogen value chain, which Jermaine has described a bit already. Um, 
Can you just build on what Germain talked about? And for our listeners who may not be so familiar with hydrogen, just share how you characterize the, the value chain or the different forms the value chain could take. Yeah, so the the way we approach the uh, clean hydrogen value chain at Delta E is really to split it into four primary sectors or divisions, I suppose. And, uh, you know, when you look at the value chain for hydrogen, typically it will start with producing that hydrogen in a low carbon manner, whether that's via electrolysis and renewable electricity, or using um, methane as a feedstock and capturing any carbon from that process. So you start off with the production, then you need to you need to get that uh, clean hydrogen to wherever it's needed. So then things like storage and distribution come into the picture. And then finally, you'll end with utilization. So where that clean hydrogen is used, what's the end use? Um, so that was extremely high level there, John. Yeah. Uh, is that enough detail? Should I flesh it out a bit more? Well, I guess it can take many forms. We've got one example of that that Germain gave. Uh, very briefly, could you give us one other example of what that value chain might look like? Yeah, so to, to contrast maybe the value chain that Jaman talked about, which was renewable electricity, electrolyzer, storage, and then to um, industry and transport, a really uh, a, a kind of a value chain that might contrast strongly with that is if you had a large scale industrial hydrogen user. Um, so let's say ammonia production is a really good example for this. You know, an ammonia plant has a demand of hundreds of thousands of tons of hydrogen a year. So uh, a really contrasting value chain might be a big um, blue hydrogen production plant. So that's methane and carbon capture um, fueling that industrial process. And because uh, the the production of that plant is very easily to be very easily controlled, you only really need the production and utilization. The distribution and storage is is less needed in that value chain, for instance. Okay, so hydrogen can take, the value chain can take lots of different forms in different applications. Um, and I think we'll need many of those different types of value chains for hydrogen to play the role that we need it to in the, the transition. I couldn't agree more. Um, Jermaine, let's come back to your, your project a bit now and bring it to life a bit. Um, now, I visited a salt cavern. I've only once actually seen a salt cavern, and that was in Romania, and it wasn't being used for gas storage. It was a tourist attraction, so it had been a salt mine, and you could the size of it was absolutely staggering. You went underground. There was a, a Ferris wheel like you see at fairgrounds, a boating lake, a restaurant, and loads more in the salt cavern. So... That opened my eyes to how big salt caverns can be. But can you tell us a bit about your salt cavern? Okay. How big is it and how deep is it? Or bring that to life a bit for us. Okay, so there, there are differences, you know. I think you have visited the Salina Turda in Romania, maybe? Near it's the a, city of Cluj, yeah. Yeah, it's a very different cavity. Um, Salina Turda was constructed in the 17th cycle, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, at Etres site, which is located between Lyon and Geneva. Yeah. Uh, we are developing uh, our project Hipster on an industrial uh, cavern that have 40 years only of existence. And what we are going to do is to convert this uh, 
cavern, so storage that was could be used actually for natural gas into uh, hydrogen storage. So at Etre site, we have a different type of cavity. Mainly, we have two different type of cavity. So to start, because this is a feasibility study and demonstration, a pilot phase, we are going to convert a very small cavity, which is on the upper layer of the salt uh, layers. So this cavity, we know it very well for the past 40 years. We have made a lot of experience in it. Um, the volume, it's only 8,000 cubic meters. Um, so it can uh, store 44 tons of hydrogen. So between 60 bar to 165 bars. So it's a very small cavity. Normally at Etre site where we are developing the project, we have, we have much more bigger uh, cavern. So the normal size for our cavern over there are 770,000 uh, cubic meters. Wow, which... so se that's 770,000, yeah. 8,000 for the Hipster project. Yes, exactly. So yep. it's huge compare and uh, it can store, it will store in the future uh, six, six, more than 6,000 tons of hydrogen and the pressure yeah. could be much more higher until okay. 240 bars. Just to give you an example, on this huge cavity, we can store a skyscraper from the city in London, for instance, just wow. to give you the dimension. Wow. Yeah, I was thinking of the small one, 8,000 cubic meters. That's like 80 meters times 10 meters times 10, 10 meters, for example. Um, yes. So relatively small. Um, and Rob, I chatting to you before, I know you were telling me that hydrogen has been stored in salt caverns before yes so there's actually there's a number of kind of uh salt caverns being used for hydrogen storage today but as Juman talked about earlier these are typically used um for industrial processes around uh petroleum refining ammonium ammonia production where um these stores are likely to be used in a very different way. You know, the intermittency of wind and when you're storing and, and withdrawing hydrogen from these um, from these caverns is, I assume, Germain, going to be a, a very different use case to the, the, the hydrogen salt caverns that are in operation today. Yes, exactly. I think worldwide there are six uh, storage of blue hydrogen today. And um, so they don't have frequent cycling because they don't cycle uh, uh, hydrogen based on the intermittency of electricity, but more of the needs of the petrochemical industry, which is flat. Okay. So what are the specific things that you're looking to test the the hipster project what are the key learning points or the key things you're hoping to to better understand about storing hydrogen in the project uh, the hydrogen in the cavern okay so as i mentioned we are going to develop a brick technological brick and so we are going to study the feasibility uh, of that project there are many many uh, challenges to to, to this uh, because we have to adapt our existing model in geomechanic thermodynamic from natural gas to hydrogen storage. We have also to qualified equipments uh, suitable for hydrogen. Um, today, there are surface uh, equipment for hydrogen, but we are developing also subsurface equipments in order to ensure a safe cycling. 
So we have done different uh, strategic partnership, one with Schneider Electric for the electricity instrumentation automation, and another one, a more technological uh, partnership with Technip FMC for the wellhead, for instance. So I have a follow-up question, Jamal, about the kind of utilization of the salt cavern in in this project specifically, in the hipster project, this small cavern you're talking about, and then for the larger cavern as well. You said that um, when using it with green hydrogen, you're expecting to be cycling the cavern a lot. I assume that means um, you know, you're very frequently going to be putting hydrogen in and taking it out of the cavern. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And we are performing some computation right now to understand how it will be in the future. We are strategically uh, located in the chemical valley of, uh, of France near Lyon, and we want to address uh, the high-value chemicals industry over there. So, so that's why we, we're expecting also to have a lot of, uh, requ- not requirement, but a lot of needs in this valley for green hydrogen in the future. Hmm. So one, one further question on that. How does the, the size of the cavern affect the util- uh, how you use it? Um, you know, in a very big store cavern, does it become then very difficult to do this high cycling or is that easier in a small cavern? No. So I think it's more not based on the size of the cavern because we can cycle uh, hydrogen into bigger cavern. We are, we are doing that with natural gas for the last 70 years and for, for the last 40 years in Etre. So it's more a question of su- supply and, and uh, of taker. Today, there are not much of takers for the moment. So we address firstly the hydrogen refueling stations. But in the future, we want to transport this hydrogen directly to the first uh, industrial consumer. So you mentioned them earlier. Uh, this could be steel industry, chemical industry, or ammonia industry. Germain, a lot of the gas sector is interested at uh, either blending hydrogen or putting 100% hydrogen into existing gas infrastructure. And I can imagine some of our listeners will be thinking, well, your company, Stornergy, knows a huge amount about storing natural gas in caverns. How you talked a bit about the instrumentation needed for working with hydrogen rather than natural gas, but fundamentally, is it the same thing using a salt cavern for hydrogen as for natural gas or are there real fundamental differences about the different nature of hydrogen compared to natural gas yeah there are fundamental uh, differences uh, first of all the equipments um, hydrogen is very light gas it can go you know from from on the earth to the atmosphere you know it's uh, the number one hydrogen so you have to select uh, suitable equipments, materials, uh, in order to avoid any leaks. So there is a huge attention to the safety part of hydrogen, to handle hydrogen. And uh, we have uh, experience uh, about 70 years in gas, so we think we are the right people to address this uh, this point. Yeah. Also, um, the the... the the, the storage of gas is seasonal. So in summer, you will inject uh, uh, natural gas into salt cavity. 
And in winter, you will withdraw gas uh, to be used for the heating system, for the industrial uh, needs, for different usage. With hydrogen, it's totally different. We are thinking that uh, the cycling will be more often and the needs will be um, will be totally different uh, regarding the production on our facility and storage. Okay, so, uh, so you could have like three days of really windy weather. The storage could get full then with hydrogen. You could then have a week or two with very little wind. So you could have that cycling operating on a weekly basis even. Yes, and uh, we are thinking uh, for a tree, but each different is di- each project is different. But we are thinking, you know, to produce, uh, to fill uh, tube trailers for U- UHS uh, stations. And meanwhile, you know, to store hydrogen uh, into salt cavern and to offer backup solution for industrial who need it. Yeah. So it's totally, yes, it's a different use. Okay. The, the other question I think listeners might have is how many salt caverns are there? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, is it, are there, you know, is it a case we need another solution and we're lucky if we have a salt cavern nearby? Or how widespread are, is the opportunity for storing hydrogen in salt caverns? So salt caverns are not everywhere. That's a, that's one of the points. You have also cavity for aquifer cavity and depleted cavity as well. But uh, the salt cavern is the most suitable uh, storage for hydrogen because it's you get a very um, clean hydrogen uh, when you withdraw the, the hydrogen. There are not much com- contaminations. This is something we will look at in situ if we have any issues with uh, bacteria, for instance, and H2S gas. But we, and you can cycle more often into salt cavern. Uh, this is less difficult than depleted or, or aquifer storage. Okay. So, and if, like in France, how many salt caverns or opportunities for storing hydrogen in salt caverns? Are we talking like a few or five or 10 or 20 or? 50 okay. or 100. So uh, regarding sto- storage, uh, we own 21 natural gas storage sites uh, in France, which yeah. which a capacity of 136 terawatt hour in France, Germany, and United Kingdom, which is which is quite huge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it could be a very big battery, effectively. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So just just working off that question, Germain, um, you know, does hydrogen? Uh, well, two questions. At what point is a salt cavern the right size to store hydrogen? So for a hydrogen refueling station today, they'll typically have uh, pressure vessels, you know, metal tanks that store hydrogen. At what point do you have to go from those tanks to some form of underground storage? And then is there any competitor to those two salt caverns as an underground storage? Mm. It's a very good question, actually, because the difference between the salt cavern and the UHS or pressure vessel tanks that will uh, store the hydrogen is the capacity, in fact. On the surface, you can store only few tons of hydrogen. Uh, Then after, you may have issues with the permitting and with the safety. But regarding the storage underground, you can huge, you can store a huge quantity of hydrogen. We mentioned with our capacity at Etre, a normal 
cavern it can store up to more than 6,000 tons of hydrogen. So it's not really comparable, um, and we address other needs. And what what other projects are you you working on, Germain, at the moment? Your your hydrogen projects director for Store Energy is is this the the focus of all your activity, or are there other things that are you're developing or trialing or testing at the moment? So uh, today we are working on different uh, conversion of hydrogen uh, storage. We have different projects uh, in Europe. We have two more in France. So we have the High Green Provence uh, project, which, which is a huge project for us. And the second, it's, uh, so it's in the south, uh, like the name Provence. And the second is Store Green. It's uh, another project in the northeast of France. We are also looking to develop uh, one project in UK called iSecure on an existing facility and uh, another project in Germany called Salt, Salty, uh, e, e for hydrogen. And in parallel, we perform studies for future hydrogen storage operators in Europe and outside of Europe. Uh, uh, our ambition, uh, thanks to the Ipster project, is um, to develop the pipeline of projects that we have and that I mentioned but also to be a leader in the hydrogen, in the underground hydrogen storage. So you're a busy man at the moment then? Yes, we have a lot of work going on. Yeah, but uh, does it feel like being on the leading edge or the cutting edge of this sector? Yes, so we feel that there is a movement change, you know, uh, that uh, we now have requests to store hydrogen into salt cavern. It was yeah. not the case a year ago. Yeah. And uh, yes, I think with the, the market is picking up uh, slowly but surely. Would you describe it as a, a push market or is it becoming a pull market? So are you still having to work hard to get each new project off the ground? Or are you now starting to get lots of people coming to you to with ideas that want to, you to be part of, of new new projects and ideas? Yes, yeah, so uh, people are coming to us actually. Um, it's a, a, a hipster project is a flagship project for the storage of uh, renewable energy. Uh, clearly, we act as a battery, and we are the first project worldwide. So, um, I mean, even countries like China or uh, write article about hipster project. We have been also contacted by North America. Um, uh, Canada, uh, Gulf of Texas as well, and also we are in contact with the Middle East. So uh, a lot of focus is on us, and that's why we have to make this project successful, because this is the first project, and we have to demonstrate that this is possible. So when when can we look forward to the results, Shaman? <laughs> Yeah, so the result will be um, presented uh, in end of 2023. So the project is a very short project. It's only three years. So 2001 was the engineering. 2000, uh, two, 2022, sorry, 2021 was the engineering. 2022 was the uh, is the construction phase. Actually, we are ambition to start in April this year. Uh, to construct the surface facility to produce hydrogen on the surface and to modify the existing salt cavern. And 2023, March, we are going to produce the first bubble of hydrogen 
at Etre site and we are going to start the cycling. Uh, so the first bubble will be in March 2023 and the cycling will start in April 2023. And we have to get all the results uh, by 2000, 2024 uh, in order to scale up uh, Etre site for hydrogen storage, but also meanwhile to develop our other project. So it's quite challenging. Mm. Mm. Um, Rob, I just want to come back to the value chain that we talked about at the beginning, and then both uh, will get the talking new energy crystal ball out. Rob, the, the value chain, one of the challenges I see here is you've got to get every piece in the hydrogen value chain is challenging. So storage, just one aspect we've talked about the challenges there, the production. Uh, the cost of electrolyzers, developing blue hydrogen projects, the utilization, heavy goods vehicles running on hydrogen industry, well, maybe converting from gray to green is easy or gray to blue, but uh, changing their processes to run on hydrogen. Is it, it seems to me, each element of those is hard, but getting them all moving forward at the same time is really where the challenge lies if this market or this sector is going to develop. Yeah, 100%, John. I think that's one of the biggest challenges with the hydrogen or the the one of the biggest challenges for hydrogen playing a role in the energy system is that we're building from effectively nothing. You know, the, the hydrogen market today serves industry. It's a captive market. There's no commodity trading. And we've got to move from that to a really, really uh, well-developed system where producers can get, you know, produce the hydrogen take it to where it needs to be. So for me, that's the biggest challenge with hydrogen. I don't think you can highlight any one sector. We've got to build this all from the ground up. And one of uh, the phrases that I'm sure anyone in the clean hydrogen sector is sick to death of is the chicken and egg problem. You know, Mm -hmm. what comes first, demand or supply? And I think if I were to characterize what the market's doing today, we're now starting to see projects really try and link those up. You know, the most successful, the largest projects, the biggest projects today are being really successful at securing their off takers before they put the hydrogen in. That's a challenge. But, you know, that's where we are today, I think. Lots of parts of the jigsaw have to come together at the same time. Very much so. Yeah. Um, Well, let's get the talking new energy crystal ball out. And I'm going to set the dial today to 10 years time, 2032. Uh, Germain, Rob, I'd like to ask each of you to paint a picture of where hydrogen storage in salt caverns is likely to be in 10 years. So if we're at the the first demonstration feasibility phase today, go forward 10 years with a crystal ball, what will things look like then? Jamad, let's start with you. Okay. (laughs) So in 10 years from now, uh, we will have to respond to the ambitious goal uh, set up by the European Commission to decarbonize the large part of the economy. And this is a challenge that we have to tackle. So clean hydrogen displaced fossil fuels in some end used, and we can uh, see that already. Uh, There are discussions for the mobility. Uh, Also, we were discussing about ammonia, green ammonia, production, steel, and chemicals. So hydrogen storage could be become increasingly critical to energy security, uh, just like natural gas storage is today in many regions. And all, yes? Oh, sorry, carry on. 
and there are differences between natural gas and hydrogen. Uh, as you have noticed, is that natural gas is stored mostly to meet seasonal variation in demand. Um, and this uh, hydrogen demand, in contrast, is likely to be more constant, at least in the early years of the hydrogen market uh, till the scale-up, when the bulk of demand is likely to come from industrial customers, primarily steel, ammonia, and high-value chemicals. So, Storengi, I would say that uh, we are ready to tackle on these challenges, and we believe that uh, hydrogen storage will be a key asset Today, developing a hipster project will help us to become a leader in 10 years. So might you have converted some of those 21 gas storage facilities to hydrogen storage facilities? Or would you have built new storage facilities in, in 10 years' time? Yeah, so we are going to convert some of our storage facilities uh, because today uh, uh, it will be uh, less expensive to use what is already existing. And as we have seen, we have different size of uh, storage volumes to address different end users. So we are going to start with small cavern and to increase the, the size of the cavern in order to meet the, the needs uh, of, the, of the market. Um, so growing, growing along with the market, yes. getting that part that Rob talked about right, getting every part of the value chain scaling up at the same time. Yeah, but also I would like to highlight that I'm discussing with uh, different European projects uh, at early stage and the needs uh, are very different depending on the country and uh, also from the region, from the hydrogen valley that is going to develop. For instance, I mentioned that we have three projects in France so um, we have Agrin Provence, Ipster, and Storgin project, and they are totally different. The three of them are totally different. Yeah. We have uh, high, high storage. We have uh, important storage for hydrogen in the south of France. We have medium storage in Etresite, and we have smaller uh, storage uh, at Storengreen in the northeast of, of France. So yeah. it depends on the needs and the industrial valley where we are going to develop this project. Okay, so no one size fits all, very dependent on the, well, the salt cavern, but the application and the demand, the production. Uh, Rob, how about you? Where, what's your 10-year uh, vision look risk like? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I think at the risk of sounding slightly repetitive and probably very vague, um, I think the, the the development of storage over the next 10 years is going to be really dependent on two major factors. How big uh, pure hydrogen networks are, uh, so that's you know pipelines moving hydrogen from one area to another. My personal opinion is if you've got a well-developed hydrogen network, which might be a little bit early for 2032. Um, if you've got that network, storage can then play a really important role as, um, so if you've got you know, your utilization sector, you've got your network that supplies that utilization, then storage can then be on the other side of your, other side of your network to your utilization as a kind of strategic energy store that then feeds that network. If you've got a hydrogen network, then I think storage has absolutely got to play a role. Line pack will as well. So that's the amount of hydrogen you can stuff into those pipes. Um, but having that big strategic store will be really important. I think also 
one thing that we haven't talked about a huge amount here is, and I understand, Germain, your project is all around green hydrogen, but the role of blue hydrogen will be really important for how big storage becomes. Because if you have blue storage, uh, blue hydrogen production, your need for storage is slightly less severe. Um, so really, I think uh, the role for storage is going to be closely tied to um, uh, the production of green hydrogen. Because if you think about an ammonia plant, if you've got an intermittent production, but a constant supply, storage, storage is a really good way of decoupling yeah. those two issues. Yeah. Well, it's going to be absolutely fascinating uh, seeing the hydrogen sector develop. Um, it's probably a bit wrong to th say the hydrogen sector. I think the hydrogen sectors, because as we've talked about in this podcast, there are lots of different ways that hydrogen could and probably will develop um, so thanks very much Jamal, uh for joining us really uh, appreciate your time and uh, sharing your experience so far Th thank you uh, to invite us and thanks very much rob for joining the podcast again yeah thanks for having me on john uh so Listeners, I hope you this has shed more light into the hydrogen sector in general and specifically the role of hydrogen storage. We know we're going to need a lot more storage and I suspect a significant part of that storage will come from hydrogen in the future. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to welcoming you back to the podcast next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Mm -hmm.